Right, ladies and gentlemen, very quickly, uh, Grandma has just made a reference. Now, she's referring to the verse 24, that is 24 through to 26 of the book of Luke and 11. And in Luke chapter 11 and verse 24, Jesus says here, he says, When an evil spirit goes out of a person, it travels over a dry country looking for a place to rest. If it can't find one, it says to itself, I will go back to my house. And so it goes back and finds the house clean and fixed up. Then it goes out and brings seven other spirits, even worse than itself, and they come and live there. So when it is all over, that person is in worse shape than at the beginning. Praise the Lord. Now, the first thing I want to clarify about um, uh, this uh, verse 24, Grandma, in order to answer your question, is that this does not only apply to, uh, to deliverance ministries and, or, or people being delivered of one thing or the other. Okay, that is not the only time when a person can be possessed by a demon or a spirit or something. I'll give you a very good example. There are several scriptures uh, throughout, uh, I beg your pardon, I mean, uh, um, several verses in scripture where Jesus uh, um, healed people who were demon-possessed. I mean, in this very verse 11, I beg your pardon, uh, chapter 11 that we read, at the very uh, um, top of it, uh, give me a second. Yes, in verse 14, it says that Jesus was driving out a demon that could not talk. And when the demon went out, the man began talking. So this man, this person that Jesus healed, was possessed by a demon that made him dumb. Does that make sense? Good. Now, another time, uh, in the book of Matthew and chapter 8, Matthew 8 from verse 28 to 38, talks about when, when Jesus went to the countryside in, in gatherings, uh, he met two men who were demon-possessed, right? And, uh, and they met him as they were coming out of the tomb. Now, Jesus healed those men. And if you remember, I think it's the book of Mark that talks about a lady, a woman who was bent over backwards by a demon. And, and also, if you remember earlier in the book of Luke, we read about the, the, um, the, the, the young boy who was epileptic, who was, who was possessed by a demon. So my point here is that demon possessions is one thing. All right. Now, on a second dimension... A second dimension to all of this is even things like habits, destructive habits. A very good example, if, if somebody had, uh, um, okay, say someone, ha uh, someone uh, has an issue with alcohol, okay, yeah. for instance, or they have an issue with drugs, or maybe someone is quite promiscuous, okay, so, now, remember, all of these things are backed by one uh, a destructive demon or the other. Okay? Everything that causes, that can cause a person, a human being, self-harm, is usually backed by a demon of some sort. Okay? So, what, so now, if we go back to the verse we just read now, which is in the verse 24, I believe, yes, verse 24, where Jesus was saying, when an evil spirit goes out of a person, 
Now, this can be that, oh, a, a minister of God laid hand on, on someone who's demon-possessed, like Jesus did in Scripture, and, uh, and, and banished out the, uh, the demons that were possessing them. It could even be, it could even be uh, as a, uh, um, uh, um, someone who, uh, who have just repented from, from a very destructive habit. Are you with me? And they've prayed about it, and the Spirit of God comes down on them. And, and what happens next is that the, um, the, the possessing spirit departs from them. Okay? So Jesus is saying here that regardless of how the spirit left, in verse 24, when an evil spirit goes out of a person, it travels over dry country looking for a place to rest. Now Jesus is basically saying here that every time a demon or an evil spirit leaves a human being. It becomes an idle spirit. It becomes a wandering spirit. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 24. That it goes over uh, um, a dry country. It goes, uh, the good news of translation says it, it goes over dry country. Which basically means it becomes, aim, it becomes aimless. Okay, the spirit starts wandering about. Now, a very good uh, example of this is if you remember in scripture when Jesus um, healed um, the man that had uh, a legion of demons in him. Do we remember that story? Yeah. Yes. If you remember, the spirits begged Jesus, the demons begged Jesus to not just cast them out. To not make them wandering spirits, but rather let them uh, cast them into the pigs that were there. And Jesus gave them the permission, so they left that person, that man's body, and they possessed the pigs instead. Because, you see, spirits cannot wander around. They, uh, 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 they, cannot, would you, uh, they cannot just float around aimlessly. They need a body. And that's what we learn from that scripture, that they need a body. And, and what Jesus is also making us understand here is what happens to an evil spirit when an evil spirit is cast out of a person or cast out of a body of some sort. So Jesus says in verse 24 of Luke 11 that the spirit becomes a wanderer. The spirit goes around and then after a while, the spirit comes back. The spirit says to itself, I will go back to my house. I will go and see if the house is okay. Now, now uh, uh, my darling sister, this is, this is when we get tempted to do the things that we've been delivered from already. Are we together? This is when the temptation starts coming. A very good example is somebody who, um, who had issues with alcohol for a very long time. And to God be the glory, they, um, they, um, they've been delivered from that spirit of alcohol. And then all of a sudden, they find themselves, uh, you know, the feeling of, oh, oh, let's have a drink starts coming back again. Or maybe, somebody, um, or maybe one of their friends says, oh, come, come with me, let's go down to the pub. You see, these, these temptations... Refer to that spirit trying to come back. Oh. Are you with me, Grandma? So yeah, that's good, good, good. So, okay. All right. So, so what now happens oh, next? God. Okay. So what now happens next is Jesus now says in verse twenty-five that so it goes back and finds the house clean and fixed up. So now, now when when. 
when a, when a person who has been delivered now falls back into that temptation and the spirit comes in, the demon looks in the person's life and says, well, uh, yes, uh, this person has, has cleaned up. They've changed. Are you with me? They are not where they used to be. Their lives are not how it used to be anymore. So what does the demon do? <coughs> verse 26. Jesus then says in verse 26 that the demon then goes out and brings seven other spirits even worse than itself. So the demon will now say that, okay, well, this person, so you, 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 are, um, you, you, uh, you escaped for a minute. You started cleaning up your life. I will make sure you don't get away. So the demon goes away and gets seven others that are worse than him. And then they now reoccupy that person's life and then make the person's life worse than what the person was to start with. Now, there is a great lesson here amongst things. And the very first is, uh, reminds us of what Jesus said in scripture. When Jesus said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That the, 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 the challenges that we have, the battles that we face, they are not against people. We're not, face, we're not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting principalities. We are fighting demons. You see my point, Grandma? We are fighting demons. And, and as Christians, we need to understand that. That it is not, it is not about somebody, oh, Oh, somebody did something to us and ruined our day. We need to understand that, that there is more to it. And that's what Jesus is trying to make us understand. That the battle we fight is not against flesh and blood. And as you can see from this story that Jesus made us, uh, this insight that Jesus gave us here in Luke 11, 24, uh, 25 and 26, it now explains how addiction works. Do you see my point, Grandma? Because on the surface, medical science will say, oh, no, no, uh, it's not their fault. It's just addiction. Are you with me? They made a mistake and then they, they, they relapsed. But Jesus makes us understand that behind all of these things, there are demons. That there are demons. And that, and that, such a demon will do what it, will do everything it can, including getting seven others that are worse than it to possess a person in order to make the person uh, 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 much worse than, than the state they originally were. So now you asked the question, Grandma, you said, what can a person then do? Okay, that after deliverance, what can a person do to make sure that they don't fall back? Now, it's very, okay, now, now I don't want to try and trivialize this. But you see, you, you must understand that liberty without Jesus is not liberty. Liberty without Jesus is not liberty. Everybody that Jesus healed, Jesus gave them one instruction or the other afterwards. Everybody. And that's something that we need to understand. Now, Grandma, a lot of people um, come to church because they have one difficulty, one challenge, one problem or the other. They come for a season. They find redemption. They find salvation. 
They find a solution to their problems. And then what happens is they run away afterwards. They, they, uh, some people treat church or they treat Jesus like a gas station. You know, like a petrol station. That you drive in with your empty car. You fill up and then you drive away. But you see, and, and what they fail to understand is that the demon that was cast out is still coming back. Because that's what Jesus has taught us here. That that demon will still come back. It will, it will still try again. Now, as Christians, we, our strength comes from our union with Christ. This is why Brother Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Hallelujah. I can do all things. It doesn't matter what it is. I can do it provided I am connected to Christ. Are you with me? Yeah. Grandma, it's like your cell phone, the mobile phone that you have. You need to plug it in at least every day or every other day to, uh, to get a charge. Otherwise, okay. it, otherwise, the battery will run out. And that is how it is. As Christians, we are nothing without Jesus. So, so when people treat Jesus or treat God or treat the church like a gas station, like a petrol station that you drive in, you fill up, and then you disappear, and you only come back only when you're empty again, then you can understand why a lot of people uh, seem to have reoccurring issues in their lives or relapses. Or, or people make commitments that, oh, I am not going to do this again, but then they find themselves doing the same thing again. It's because, like, like Jesus has made us understand, the demons behind these weaknesses will, will always come back. So, Grandma, the way in which, uh, as Christians, we can, we, can, we can safeguard ourselves from falling back into this cycle, from becoming victims, the first point will be to remain in union with Christ. To remain in union with Christ. And that is very important. That, and that's what Sister Chinge was talking about earlier on when she spoke about having a relationship. A relationship with Jesus. Now, the other thing is that, as you know, as Christians, the, the, uh, um, a prayerful Christian is a powerful Christian. Let me say that again. A prayerful Christian is a powerful Christian. And that's a very, very important fact that a lot of people seem, uh, um, uh, seem not to understand. Now, remember Jesus said that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So the battle we are facing is not physical. That's what he's saying to us. It's their spiritual battles. You cannot fight a, a, a spiritual battle on, uh, you know, with, with physical weapons. And somebody needs to make a note of that. Whether I tweet that or write that down or something. You, can, you cannot fight a, a spiritual battle with physical weapons. It's not possible. You can't fight a physical battle with your intellect. You can't fight it with, with bronze or with brains. You can only fight sp spiritual warfare with spiritual warfare. And, this, uh, and the way to fight spiritual battles is in prayer, in the place of prayer. Hmm? 
Okay? So, so, and that is really very important. That we can only face, we can only fight spiritual battles in the place of prayer. So this is why, uh, this is why people need, people, I must say this again, people need, Christians, we need to have a very effective, a very active prayer life. And unfortunately, a lot of people tend to try and work prayer, uh, 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 prayer around their schedule, rather daily schedule. When whereas we are supposed to build our entire daily schedules around prayer. Are you with me, Grandma? So, the first point here, in order to remain standing, in order to not fall a victim to what Jesus described here in verse 24, 25, and 26, the first is we need to have a, we need to have, um, be, be in union with Christ. We, we have to be in a relationship with Jesus. You have to, we have to be in a relationship with Jesus. That, that's the first point. The second point is we need to have an active prayer life. My uh, grandma, there is no shortcuts to it. There is none. The only place where we can conquer these demons, where we can stand, is in the place of prayer. It is in the place of prayer. We can achieve a lot more on our knees than we can achieve standing up. So it's, it's about prayer. So now, now grandma, what keeps... yeah. Yeah, a, a, a repentant drug addict, and I use the word repentant to, uh, to mean that a, drug ad, uh, a former drug addict, yeah? What will keep a former drug addict from going back into drugs? Prayer will do it. Prayer will do it. Effective prayer. Because the Bible says that, that the effective prayer of the righteous avails much. It avails much. More than anything, prayer does it. What will keep, what will keep somebody who has a, a Christian who is struggling, struggling with one weakness or the other? Prayer will keep us standing. That is what prayer is there for. Hallelujah. And then the third, the third thing yeah, is to avoid bad company. Is to avoid bad company. And that's very important. I cannot overstress that. The scripture says that bad company corrupts good manners. Bad company corrupts good manners. Oh, um, one, of, one of the things that affects a lot of Christians from growing, from moving forward, is bad company. We have, one, we have one tether to Jesus and we have one tether back in the world. We are still tethered to our pasts. The bad, the, 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 um, the bad company that we keep, the friends, the old friends, the old things, the things that connect us back to the world, these, these will become the bridge that the former demons we used to come back to our lives. So this is why that verse 24, 25, and 26 are very, very, very important. They are very important, Grandma. I hope this answers your question very, very clearly. No, 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 no. It's answer. Glory to God. 
Glory to God. Thank you very much for that, Grandma. Glory be to God. Thank you, Grandma. Ladies and gentlemen, I know a few people logged in and out whilst we were uh, having the Bible study session. Uh, I, I, one more time, I just want to welcome you if you've just joined in. This is the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Friends Parish. Friends Parish, Camberwell. London, and um, it's an honor and a pleasure going through the word with you. Just a very quick one, if you've just joined in, we are reading Luke chapter 11 today. That's Luke chapter 11. Please join in in the contribution. God bless you. So, ladies and gentlemen, the floor is still open for contributions. Would anybody like to ask any questions tonight or, or share or just contribute from the text? Hallelujah. Anybody? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. It, it looks like our darling sister Sarah wants to contribute. So let's give her a few minutes, uh, a few seconds as she logs in. Okay. So now sister Sarah said, uh, um, um, she shared from some of the, the earlier verses there. And I found, and I'm not going to go over every single verse that she's shared from. But I would like us to look just for a moment there on verse 27. Okay, let's, let's look at that verse 27 together because 27 is quite interesting. Jesus talks about what true happiness is. Now, notice how, how the Bible described it as true happiness. Not just happiness. You know, it's really funny. Um, there's a joke I once shared with one of my friends once and... Um, uh, and uh, uh, it's a running joke. And he said something like, oh, that money cannot buy happiness. He said, money cannot buy happiness. And I said, well, but money can buy a Bugatti. And he started laughing. And then I asked him, have you ever seen a sad person in a Bugatti before? <laughs> and, that, and that's the joke. But you see, but ladies and gentlemen, the, it is not that happiness does not exist. But the Bible talks about something here called true happiness. True happiness. Now, let's look at what Jesus says here together. Verse 27. Jesus says that... Sorry? Sorry, verse 28. Jesus said, but rather, how happy are those who hear the word of God and obeyed. Ladies and gentlemen, can I throw that out to everybody listening to me today? What, what do you think Jesus meant when Jesus said, happy are those that hear the word of God and obeyed? What do we think Jesus meant when he said those words? The floor is open, everybody. If we go back to verse 27 very quickly, you'll see something interesting there. In verse 27 of the book of Luke 11, this whole conversation about happiness started with a woman saying to him, verse 27 reads, when Jesus had said this, a woman spoke up from the crowd and said, how happy is the woman who bore you, who nursed you? But Jesus then answered, rather, how happy are those who hear the word of God and obey it. What Jesus was doing was Jesus was turning the priority 
from the superficial to the concrete, from, from what is irrelevant to what is, uh, to what is or what should be. And Jesus was setting the priority straight here that focus on the kingdom of God, on obeying, on hearing and obeying the word of God should be our priority. You know, it's really interesting that also in scripture, when the devil came to tempt Jesus, remember? And he asked him to turn. It's the first temptation of Jesus. The devil told him to turn uh, 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 rocks into, into bread for him to eat. Jesus said, man must not live by bread alone. Do we remember that statement? But by the word of God, every word that comes out of the, uh, out of the mouth of the Lord. The word of God. And you see, it's really interesting. Again, Jesus was, was turning the focus back to what is priority. And that is what Jesus is talking about here. So the secret in verse 28 is simple. That those who prioritize God will be happy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that is something somebody needs to take away with them. You need to write that down. You need to tweet that. That if you prioritize the kingdom of God, if you prioritize the things of God, if you prioritize the word of God, Above everything else, the Lord will sort out your happiness. And, the, and that is what the scripture is making us understand. It's about priorities. It is about priorities. Our priority should be about hearing the word and obeying the word, living for Jesus. And this is why Jesus said, said that, that if we honor, uh, um, so God said in scripture, that if we honor him, he will honor us. If we honor the Lord, he will honor us back. Hallelujah. Right. So let's, uh, let's jump straight down into verse 29. Because uh, between 29 and 32, there are some very important lessons we can learn here. 29 reads, as the people crowded around Jesus... He went on to say, how evil are the people of this day? They ask for a miracle, but none will be given them except the miracle of Jonah. Of Jonah. In the same way that the prophet Jonah was a sign for the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be a sign for the people of this day. Now let's stop there for a moment. Let's stop there. For the benefit of, of, of those who may not know the story, Jonah was a prophet whom the Lord sent to the rebellious, sinful nation called Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a city of people that did not, that did not believe in God. Uh, um, God sent Jonah over to them as a sign to, uh, um, uh, to give them a solemn warning, to give them a chance to repent. Jonah didn't want to go to them because Jonah knew that they would repent. And Jonah felt, no, that these guys should not be given an opportunity to repent. Long story short, ladies and gentlemen, Jonah went eventually and the people of Nineveh listened to Jonah. They listened and they repented of their sins. Now, this is the interesting thing. Jesus was now using what happened there, right, as, as, as an example or as an illustration to buttress what is going to happen. 
Let's look at that now in scripture. In verse 29, Jesus said, as the people crowded, I beg your pardon, as the people crowded around Jesus, he went on to say, how evil are the people of this day? They asked for a miracle, but none will be given except the miracle of Jonah. Now, this is the point in verse 30. This is the key in verse 30. In the same way that the prophet Jonah was a sign for the people of Nineveh, so the son of man, i.e. Jesus, will be a sign for the people of this day. Now, Jesus was saying to him that as Jonah was a sign, was a warning to the people of Nineveh, that caused them to think twice about their lives, about the, their decisions, and choose to repent, so also is Jesus a warning and a sign to the people of Nineveh today. I, I beg your pardon, to the people, um, uh, to people of this generation today, uh, 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 to you and I today. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there is something fundamental about that. If you remember from scripture, Sodom and Gomorrah did not receive warnings. Do we remember that from scripture? The nations, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were not, did not receive warnings. However, God sent a warning to Nineveh. And Jesus is saying that he is a warning to us today. He is a warning to us. Please highlight that in your Bible in verse 30. Jesus is saying that he's a warning. That the same way Jonah went to Nineveh to warn them about, about, about the impending doom, so also is Jesus a warning to all mankind today. Verse 31. On the day of judgment, the queen of Sheba will stand up and accuse the people of today. Because she traveled all the way from her country to listen to King Solomon's wise teaching. And there is something here. Now, let's stop there for a moment. Now, I want to speak to everybody listening to me today. Everybody on this call and everybody that will listen to the recording of this message. Jesus says here that the Queen of Sheba will stand up and she will accuse the people of, of, of this generation. She will accuse you and I. And what would she accuse us of? How, how seriously did we take the word? Hello, church? Hello, church? Good. Is, can everybody hear me loud and clear? Jesus is saying here that the queen of Sheba on the day of judgment will stand up and she will, and she will accuse you and I. And she would ask, she will accuse us saying, how seriously did you take the word? And somebody needs to understand that. You see, because the scripture says here that, that she... That she traveled across the desert. She came all the way from her country. Across her, the desert. Ladies and gentlemen, there was no air conditioning then. She didn't drive across the desert in a Range Rover. She didn't, she didn't go across the desert by, um, um, by British Airways flight. She sat on the back of a camel for weeks. 
if not months, to travel across the desert, ladies and gentlemen, from one part of the Middle East to another. She came all the way, for, she went through all that stress. Now, my, uh, everybody listening to me today, my darling wife and I have had the, the, the privileged opportunity of visiting Egypt. And we have been in the desert. Can I say something to you? The hottest day we have here in the UK is nothing compared to what it is like in the desert. The heat in the desert is ridiculous. You can roast chicken in the open. It is, that, it is that a very harsh and uncomfortable environment. But the queen of Sheba traveled on the back of a donkey for weeks. Across the open sands of the desert. She slept in the desert. Took her showers in the desert. Did everything in the desert. Was probably covered in sand. Uh, until she came to the palace of King Solomon. And all she came for was to sit at the feet of Solomon and hear the word. Can I ask you a question? How seriously do you take the word of God? Because, queen, uh, because uh, Jesus said queen, uh, the queen of Sheba will stand up and accuse you and I on that day. How seriously do you take the word of God? Let's go further. Because she traveled all the way from her country to listen to King Solomon's wise teaching. And there is something here, I tell you, greater than Solomon. Verse 32. On the day of judgment, the people of Nineveh will stand up and accuse you because they turned from their sins when they heard Jonah preach. And I assure you that there is something here greater than Jonah. Hallelujah. Jesus, uh, Jesus then went further to say, the people of Nineveh, the souls of the people of Nineveh, who have been dead for tens of thousands of years, they will rise up on the judgment day to accuse you and I. Because they would say that, that when the Lord sent a prophet, a prophet, one prophet to them, they, the entire nation repented. How many preachers do we have today? How many pastors do we have today? How many teachers do we have? How many churches do we have? Ladies and gentlemen, remember that in those days, there, was, there, there were no temples at all. How many churches and cathedrals do we have today? And yet, and yet, ladies and gentlemen, a people still have not repented. A lot of people play with sin. They treat sin as if, as if it's something they, that they can toil with. Ladies and gentlemen, if you find that, that your experience of Christianity, your reality of Christianity is every single day, you pray for forgiveness for the same thing, then there's something wrong. Because I promise you that is not what Jesus died for. 
Repentance does not mean coming back every single day to apologize for the same thing. That is not repentance. That is making excuses. So Jesus is saying here that the souls of the people of Nineveh will stand up and they will accuse you. Because they turned from their sins when they heard Jonah preach. Ladies and gentlemen, are, are, we, still, are we still battling the same thing? Even though we have heard the word over and over and over and over and over again. Let's go forward. Verse 33. No one lights a lamp and then hides it or puts it under a bowl. Instead, it is put on a lampstand so that people may see the light as they come in. Your eyes are, the, are like a lamp for your body. When your eyes are sound, your whole body is full of light. But when your eyes are no good, your whole body will be in darkness. Make certain then that the light in you is not darkness. If your whole body is full of light, with no part of it in darkness, it will be bright all over, as when a lamp shines on you with its brightness. Hallelujah. Now, Jesus is saying to all of us listening this evening that we are to examine our lives. That we are to examine our lives. He speaks about how, he starts off in verse 33 by saying, nobody lights a lamp and then hides it. Nobody does that. Nobody lights a candle and, and puts it under a bowl. No. And the same way, when Jesus came into you and I, he illuminated us. We are the lamps. Ladies and gentlemen, when you gave your life to Christ, you became a lamp. And Jesus became the light in you. And he did that so that your life and my life may illuminate before all men. Our character may illuminate before all men. So that we can then show them the light or we can show them the way. That is why we're Christians, ladies and gentlemen. We are lamps. So can I ask you, is the light still burning in you? You can't be a Christian and hide your, uh, um, your Christian virtues and hide your Christian character. Then you'll be like what Jesus is talking about in verse 33, about lighting a lamp and keeping it under a bowl. Nobody does that. Understand that you are, you are a lamp. And Jesus is the flame that burns in, in you. And Jesus exposes you. Jesus puts you on a pedestal so that the world can see you. They can see the good character in you and I. Our lives may be illuminated for the world to see that we may show them the way. And you and I need to understand that. You, you, you don't live for yourself. You are a lamp. So,
So Jesus is saying to us that we are to examine our bodies. Now it goes further in verse 34 to say your eyes are like a lamp for your body. Your eyes. When your eyes are sound, your whole body is full of light. But when your eyes are no good, your whole body will be in darkness. Ladies and gentlemen, guiding our eyes is one of those things that is really important. I remember when we studied the book book of Matthew several months ago, I taught on, on the scripture where Jesus says, if your eyes lead you astray, pluck them out. And if your arms lead you astray, chop it off. And if your feet lead you astray, chop it off. And I was saying to us that that when Jesus was talking about eyes, if the things we focus our attention on are things that are corrupting us. Remember Jesus said in the book of Matthew that we are to pluck them out. Why? Because here in verse 34 of the book of Luke and 11, Jesus is saying that your eyes, my eyes, are are like a lamp to our bodies. Your eyes. And what Jesus means there is your attention. Because whatever, whatever owns your attention owns you. And somebody needs to make a note of that. Whatever owns your attention, owns you. Whatever controls your attention, owns you. Whatever has your attention, owns you. And this is something that is really important. So can I ask you this question, my fellow Christian brothers and sisters, what do you focus your attention on? What do you focus your attention on during the day? In any situation you find yourself in, do you focus on the negative or the positive? Do you focus on the problem or the solution? Some of us sometimes magnify our problems so big that God becomes so small to us. Remember, whatever owns your attention owns you. And that's what Jesus is is illustrating in verse 34. What do you focus your eyes on? What do you cast your gaze on? Remember David in scripture, the Bible says that David beheld uh, Bathsheba, she showered. He beheld her and he lusted after her. It, it always starts with the eyes. Hashtag, it starts with the eyes. Gluttony starts with the eyes. Sexual immorality starts with the eyes. That's why Jesus said, if a man looks lustfully against a woman, if he looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. It starts with the eyes. Covetousness starts with the eyes. Greed starts with the eyes. Pride starts with the eyes. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to ask you, what do you focus your eyes on? Where does your eyes lead you? Remember Eve in the scripture? The Bible says that when she beheld the fruit and it looked easy on the eyes, it looked nourishing, it looked, it appeared. She ate it and sin came into the world. 
It starts with the eyes. So Jesus is saying to us that our eyes is, is, is a lamp for our whole body. If our eyes is messed up, ladies and gentlemen, our body is in trouble. The whole of us is in trouble. Hallelujah. Let's move on very quickly. Verse, uh, verse 37. Now, verse 37 all the way through to verse 53 is a really, really, really interesting verse. It's a really interesting, as I beg your pardon, a really interesting section of this Luke 11. Now, and I know we've read this and we understand that Jesus was slandering, was slagging off the, the Pharisees. I'm sure by the time we finished reading from verse 37 through to 53, we were not surprised that the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. I mean, it became obvious why they wanted to kill him. Because Jesus was just going in on them. He was like laying in on them and talking about how terrible they are and how bad they are. Someone's saying, really? Yes, verse 44, for instance. Jesus says, how terrible for you. You are like unmarked graves, which people walk on without knowing. That's Jesus saying that to the Pharisees. Oh, Jesus was laying into the Pharisees big time here. And I'm sure we can understand that. And we read this and we probably would think, yeah, we can understand why they started to kill him. I mean, if somebody was to slander you off like this, this much in public, you can understand, you know, you, you know, you having beef with them. So after this, after this event, if the Pharisees and Sadducees and the teachers of the law didn't have beef with Christ, they, 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 they invented it at this point. But there is something I want to pull out of here very quickly that will help us set the tone. Now, remember that Jesus was talking and he was teaching before this time. Now, look at what happens in verse 37. It says, when Jesus finished speaking, that is everything he has taught before now, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So, so he went in and sat down in, the, in this Pharisee's house. The Pharisee was then surprised when, Je when he noticed that Jesus sat down, okay, and started eating without washing his hands. So the Pharisee said to him, hold on, hold on, you're a teacher of the law. I expect you to know better. Come on, that is Bushman behavior. Can't just come in and start eating without washing your hands, sir. So the Pharisees said to Jesus in verse 39, and I beg your pardon, so how come you're not washing your hands? Now listen, and I listen to this. So the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, you're clean, you're, uh, you clean the outside of a cup and plate, but inside you are full of violence and evil. Fools! Did not God who made the outside also make the inside? But give what is in your cups and plates to the poor, and everything will be ritually clean for you. Boy. Now, listen, gentlemen. Can you imagine the Pharisee simply pointing out to Jesus that he didn't wash his hands, and Jesus came at him like this? Now, now listen, gentlemen. I would like everybody in this place to pause for a moment and ask yourself. If you were to invite somebody to your house, you were being charitable. You invited him to come to your house to eat with you. 
And then the, he had barely sat down. And the person starts attacking you like this. I'm sure you can understand that you probably would not that you probably would not be very pleased. Am I right, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah. But Jesus did not stop there. Jesus goes on in verse 42 and 43 and 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49. And Jesus was just going in at these guys. And, and But you see, there is something I want us to understand here. Jesus did not at any point in time say because he was in the company of a Pharisee, not tell them the truth. Jesus was blatant with the truth. He was clear with the truth. He didn't sugarcoat uh, quote the, the truth. And why did he not do that? Because of the importance of the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is more concerned about you and I's salvation than our feelings. Hello, church. Let me say that again. Jesus cares more about your, you and I's salvation than our feelings. And you need to understand that. Because hurting your feelings and taking your life are two different things. Jesus didn't care whether he was in the house of this person, whether it was in somebody's house or not. Jesus made very clear to, uh, to the Pharisees that their ways was destructive, both for themselves and for the people that are following them. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not compromise. And somebody might want to write that down or tweet that or make a note of that. God does not compromise. He doesn't. I'll say it one more time. Jesus cares more, uh, more for your salvation than for your feelings. Hallelujah. Now, let's, let's go a bit further down. Now, in verse 45, one of the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. Can you imagine? When Jesus has started on these guys all the way from verse 41 straight down by 45. The teachers of the law. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you have the Pharisees who were like the, 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 the priests, the ceremonial priests. And then you had the teachers of the law. The teachers of the law and priests are two different um, bodies of people. A very good example to buttress this in the old times is Aaron and Moses. Moses was a teacher of the law. Are we together? While Aaron was a, was a priest. And as a priest, Aaron was responsible for all the sacrificial offerings and whatnot. While Moses was the teacher. And, and in Judaism, that segregation, excuse me, continues till today. So there are teachers of the law and there are 
Pharisees or priests. Now, the interesting thing was when Jesus was telling off the Pharisees in verse 45, one of the teachers of the law said, Sir, teacher. You know, he called Jesus a teacher as if to say, you know, brethren, brother, we comrade. When you say this, you are insulting us too. And then Jesus then replied to him in verse 46. And let's look at that together. Can we all look at 46 together? Jesus replied saying, How terrible also for you teachers of the law. You put onto people's backs loads which are heavy to carry. But you yourselves will not stretch out a finger to help them carry those loads. Now let's stop there for a moment. I had a very wonderful conversation with um, with uh, with one of the classes of of, um, of brethren I uh, I take in the church, and we 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 had a very wonderful conversation yesterday during during a class session. And one of the things I highlighted there was was the importance of us as Christians not placing burdens on people. Not placing burdens on people. And, uh, and listen, gentlemen, I am being very careful to say this because this is not an opportunity to, to, to provide tolerance for sin. No. But at the same time, uh, uh, placing burdens on people does not help. And that's what Jesus was pointing out here. You see, the teachers of the law would come about and put very stringent laws and regulations. Oh, that, oh, that you, 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 you are not acceptable to God unless you do this and do that and jump through a hoop. And, you, and, and your grandmother, she, I know she's 90 years old, she still has to run around the park because that is the law. Everybody must do it regardless. You know, stringent requirements <coughs> that, that caused uh, uh, um, the people seeking after God to find the task very daunting. Ladies and gentlemen, and sometimes in Christianity today, we find that. Whereby sometimes people say, well, you're not a Christian unless you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that and you do this and you can't come to Christ unless you take off your mini skirt and you cannot wear earrings and you must not uh, uh, put any kind of ointment in your hair. You can't use body cream. You can't use colognes. You can't use perfume. You can't even sit next to a female. You always have to be 10 yards away, blah, 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 blah. And all of all these rules and regulations, these things put unnecessary strain on people. And ladies and gentlemen, this was also happening during those times. Oh, women cannot prophesy in church. Women must not wear makeup. Women must not have long hair. Women must not do this. When you're on your period, you're unacceptable. Blah, blah. It's all of all these things. And then what then happened was that a lot of the people who were trying to come, who were trying to get to know God, found the load they had it to bear too much for them that they just gave up. Hello, church? And a lot of that still happens in Christianity today. Whereby there are some people who want to come to church and all they want to know, all they want to do is know Jesus. They've heard so much about Jesus that they just want to have a relationship. They just want somebody to sit down and, and lead them to Christ. But instead, they are greeted with the rules and regulations first. 
Can I start off by saying, ladies and gentlemen, that Christianity is not about rules and regulations. It's never been about rules and regulations. It's about a relationship. Christianity is about Jesus. Can I also go further to say, ladies and gentlemen, that it is not you and I's job to break people. It is the Holy Spirit's job to do that. And when I say break people, I mean convict them of, the, of sin. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin, not you and I. So having people on a guilt trip, you know, uh, uh, forcing people to, uh, to break up families or change lifestyles or whatnot. You see, our walk with Christ is supposed to be just that. Our walk is meant to be a journey. A journey of, of discovery. A journey whereby somebody starts off at a point and as they walk with Christ every day, they, they get better. They leave more and more of the world behind and they start to become more and more like Jesus. Not like, not like the picture of Jesus that you and I paint sometimes. And, and I say you and I because we are Christians. And sometimes some people get it wrong and they, and they frustrate other people who are trying to know Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that is what Jesus was talking about here in verse 46. Let's look at those words again. Jesus says, how terrible also for you teachers of the law. You put on people's backs loads which are hard to carry. But you yourself will not stretch out a finger to help them with these loads. 47. How terrible for you. You make fine tombs for the prophets. The very prophets your ancestors murdered. You, you yourselves admit them. Then that, uh, that, to prove of what, that is proof of what your ancestors did. They murdered the prophets and you build their tombs. Now, ladies and gentlemen, what Jesus was saying here is that a lot of people celebrate priests and prophets, but they ignore the people that need help. A very good example, the poor in our midst. We cannot call ourselves Christians if we ignore the poor. Ladies and gentlemen, I am, not saying, I, I am not saying that giving an offering in church is wrong. Oh, no, I'm not saying that. In fact, God said in Association of Israel that they're not to come before him empty-handed. So, so to give an offering in church is important. But ladies and gentlemen, because you give an offering in church, it's not an excuse for you not to help somebody who is in need. Let me say that again. Please remember your tithe belongs to God. That is not debatable. God said it in scripture that the tenth of our income is his. It's not money you give to God. It's money that belongs to God. Your offering is what you offer. Now that is a free will offering that you are giving. Now ladies and gentlemen, because you give an offering in the house of God does not mean that we should ignore the, the needy, the destitute, the poor, among in our midst if we if we do not show the poor charity if we do not help the poor we are not christians what faith are we professing 
And that is what Jesus was saying to the teachers of the law here, that, 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 that you whitewashed the tombs of the prophets of old. But the people that need help, you ignore them. The people who are hungry, you ignore them. The people who need, who need, who need assistance right now, you ignore them. But, you, but, but then you whitewash the tombs of the prophets of old. And that's what Jesus was saying to them. He, again, he was talking about priorities. Remember that the most important thing to God is people. That's why the scripture says, For God so loved the world so much that he gave his, his, his one only son to die for the world so that the world may be saved. Hallelujah. Verse 50. So the people of this time will be punished for the murders of all the prophets since and killed since the creation of the world. From the murder of Abel to the mother of Zechariah, who was killed in between the altar and the holy place. Yes, I tell you, the people of this time will be punished for them all. Now, what Jesus was talking about there is that those who are uh, the people, um, the people of this generation will be held accountable for sin. Now, remember that Jesus came to save us. That's what Jesus came to do. He came, he came to save us so that we are not held accountable for sin. Satan brought sin into the world, but man adopted sin. And as a result, we've all become guilty of sin. But Jesus came in to cleanse us, to save us from, from the punishment of sin. So Jesus is talking about here now in 50 and 51 about how, how those that refuse him, those that do not accept Jesus, who do not accept the, uh, um, the redemption price that is Christ, will be punished for the sins of the world. And I pray that will not be our portion in Jesus' name. Verse 52. How terrible for you teachers of the law. You have kept the key that opens the door to the house of knowledge and you yourselves will not go in and you have stopped those who will try to go in. Now I thank God for my darling sister Chinye who shared from this and, and, I, and I just want to touch this because this is where we're going to bring it to a close today. Now ladies and gentlemen, a lot of Christians don't go out and evangelize. A lot of Christians don't tell, they don't, they don't tell other people about Jesus. And I would like to believe that you can be likened then. Such Christians can be likened to the teachers of the law here. The teachers of the law in the past, they were the people that knew and understood the law. And their job was to educate the people, was to go out and tell people about the law. Now, whilst the priests were always in the synagogues, the teachers of the law were meant to go out into the marketplace. They were the ones who were meant to go out into society and tell people about the laws of Moses, about uh, the laws of God. When people understood the laws of God, then people would come to the temples to offer the sacrifices. Are we together? But how can people come to the temples if they don't know the law? 
So for that reason, the teachers of the law will go out into the people, go out into society and teach people the law. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I today can be likened to, as the, uh, to the teachers of the law. You and I today. Because that is the task that Jesus gave us as Christians. That we go out and make disciples of other people. We are supposed to go out and teach them about Jesus we are supposed to go out and witness uh, to them the Jesus that we know. Whether that is true, your experience working with Christ, your knowledge of the word of God, or your testimonies. The Bible says that, that the woman whom Jesus met at the well, she went, she ran back to her city. She didn't go back quoting scripture. She didn't go back telling them uh, mysteries and whatnot. No. She went back with her testimony. And her testimony was simple. Come. Come, everybody. Come and meet this man who was able to sort out my life. Maybe he can sort your lives out too. And the, Bible's, and the Bible recounts that at the end of that day, our entire city was saved. Our entire city became converted because of this woman. And the only thing she did was share a testimony. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is saying now in verse 52. Can everybody please look at 52 with me, please? Everybody. 52 says here, verse 52 of Luke 11 says, How terrible for you, teachers of the law. You have kept the key. That opens the door to the house of knowledge. You, you have kept the key to yourselves. And you yourselves will not go in. And you have stopped those who are trying to get in. Ladies and gentlemen, have you become a container of the word of God? Have you become a container of the, of, um, of the knowledge of Jesus? Is that what you are now? A container? A silo? Rather than be a vessel that can go out there and water the world and tell people about Jesus, have you become a container? If you have become a container, Jesus is saying, how terrible for you. Because even though you have the key, you have the key, and Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, you will not invite anybody to church. And you come to church and you sit down and there are empty seats all around you and nothing moves you. Nothing moves. You don't get moved on the inside that, you know what, that's, somebody could be sitting on that seat. Somebody's life could be sorted. And you hear the word day after day after day. You know a handful of scriptures. And you keep them inside of you and you feel okay. Ladies and gentlemen, if that describes you, then you have become like the teachers of the law. Who hold in their hands the key to the house of knowledge. 
but they choose not to let people in and they themselves don't go in. Why? Because they think they know enough scripture to get by. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot have a relationship with Jesus with you, without the Holy Spirit telling you to talk to, to talk to somebody about Jesus. So if you are telling me today that the Holy Spirit has not been nudging you to share the gospel, to, to invite somebody to church, to invite somebody to prayer meetings, to invite somebody with you, a neighbor, a friend, to invite them to join in the Bible study. If you are saying to me that the Holy Spirit has not been saying that to you, then can I say to you, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You are not bound with Christ. And I know that's a very powerful statement I just made, ladies and gentlemen, but understand that the Spirit of God is one. The woman who, who just met Jesus, the Bible says she had five husbands. And even the guy she was living with wasn't even her husband. She was cohabitating with somebody. The Bible says she left Jesus, ran back to her, to, to her city, and she went to tell of her testimony. She didn't have a word. She didn't have a pulpit. She didn't know the Bible. She didn't know none of that. The only thing she had was her testimony. And she went out with her testimony and her entire city was saved. Ladies and gentlemen, what are you doing with your testimony? What are you doing with your testimony? And there are people that are committing suicide out there in your neighborhood. There are people that are turning to drugs in your neighborhood. There are people who are turning to alcohol in your neighborhood. People are self-destructing in your neighborhood. And you have the key to the knowledge of the house of God. And you will not open the door for somebody else. And you will not bring somebody else to church. Jesus said, how terrible for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I speak the word of God tonight and I speak very boldly and clearly. I'm sorry, I am not after your feelings tonight. But I must say the truth to you and I. That if you do, if you do not tell people about Jesus, how terrible for you. If you only come to church and the only thing you care about is you coming to church every Sunday. And you have friends that are in the world. You have friends that will, be that will perish. How wicked are you? Ladies and gentlemen. On this note, I'm going to bring tonight's Bible study to a close. Luke chapter 11 is a very powerful chapter. It's one of those chapters that Jesus speaks very clearly. These are not the words of Peter. These are not the words of Paul. They're not the words of any of the disciples or any of the prophets. These are the words of Jesus. And the Bible says that the words of the Lord will not go out and return to him void. These words will not fall to the earth. These words will be established exactly as Christ has said it. So, so my brothers and sisters, I appeal to you all tonight. 
if you have not been taking the Lord seriously, if you have not told any, if you have not spoken to anybody about Jesus and you just don't do it for, your, for whatever reason, understand that you were not saved for yourself. You were saved in order to be a vessel of salvation. The same way you and I are blessed in order to be a blessing. Hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, this, my name is Pastor Sill, and this is the Redeemed Christian Church of God Friends Parish, Camberwell, London. I want to thank everybody for joining us for our Bible study session tonight. When tonight we finished the book of, of Luke and chapter 11. If you have questions, please, please, please don't go away. Stay on the line. At this time, I'm going to bring this session to a close so that those that need to carry on with their evening can. But if you have any questions, stay on the line. I will, I will be on this call. If you have any questions, please ask. And I pray that the Lord will give me wisdom to be able to answer the questions that you, that you raised tonight. But on that note, I'd like everybody to please join me as we bow our heads and take a word of prayer. Let us pray. Our Father and King, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for speaking to us tonight. Father, once have you spoken, many times have your word echoed in the chambers of our minds. Lord, you have spoken and our hearts have heard you. Our souls have heard you. Lord, we ask tonight, Father, for first we say we're sorry for, every t for, for, for not speaking your word, for not going out to be a light to others. Please forgive us. As a church, as a people, please forgive us. Almighty Father, Lord, we ask for the grace. Lord, where we are weak, strengthen us. Where we lack courage, strengthen, strengthen us. Where we lack wisdom, Father, grant us wisdom. Where we lack boldness, strengthen us. In the name of Jesus. Give us the grace that we need, Lord, as individuals, as a church, as a people, to go out there and take our community for you and tell people about you. That like the woman who met Jesus at the well, that we may tell of our testimonies and our testimonies may change the life of others. They may encourage people to give, you, to give Christ a try. Lord, we pray today in the name of Jesus. As we continue with this week, Lord, go with us. Bless the works of our hands and let it be well of us know that we do and everywhere that we go. And at the end of each day of this week, Father, give us every cause to honor your name. In Jesus' name do we all pray. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Before we share the grace together in fellowship one more time, God bless you all. Thank you for joining us. Please, if you have a question, stay on the line. But for everybody else, good night and let's share the grace together as we pray. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, may the love of God, and may the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen. And surely, God's goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, and we all will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us tonight. God bless you all. Have a great night. And bye for now, everybody. Please, if you have a question, stay on the line. Stay on the line if you've got a question. But for everybody else, remember I love you. I hope we're still friends. I love you all. 
God bless you and have a great night. Bye for now, everybody. Bye, everyone. I love you. Bye, everyone. God bless you. Bye.